0: What's going on, everybody? Glenn P. Brooks Jr. here. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I'm a coach. And I wanna welcome you to We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. I get the opportunity to add value to entrepreneurs, business owners, and ministry leaders, both on and offline. And this episode is gonna be no different. Stick around, and we're gonna get started right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I just wanna welcome you back to another edition of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast podcast. I am excited, I know I say that every week, I'm excited about our next guest, because I am. We purposely invite people here with things to say and share that quite frankly can change the game for you. And in many cases, the reason why I can say that to be true and I I know that is because it changed the game for me first. See, it's really easy for me to introduce you to somebody who I have been impacted by. And I can tell you right now, this next guest is no different. Most often when you see a brand, I need you to understand that there's always a story behind it or that drives it. There's a reason why people are successful. There's a reason why you like a brand well enough to participate in the process of its goods and services. The story behind the brand today is going to feature my guy, Martin Pratt. And he's a whole vibe in and of himself, uh, entrepreneur extraordinaire, cares a ton about people, techie. Uh, And we're going to get into his story in a second. In a blog post on HuffPost.com, contributing writer Flynn Coleman asks this question. Why are stories so powerful? Well, the truth of the matter is that, that they are actually more memorable than facts. Our brains are actually wired to respond to stories. Metaphors and anecdotes actually help us relate ideas to our own experiences, providing richness and texture stories actually bring you and your listeners into a multi-dimensional world full of colors sights smells emotions and it actually makes us feel as though we're actually living the story without further ado i'm excited to bring to the stage here on we all need some help wednesday the podcast my guy martin pratt martin welcome thank you brother glenn for inviting me here appreciate it yeah man no i appreciate you Um, I want to get into this content real quick, man. Um, You have accomplished quite a bit um, in your years on the planet. Um, You're doing some amazing things in the tech space, some things from a creator standpoint that is helping a ton of people um, in ways that uh, we haven't really seen black people move in, or at least we haven't paid attention to it. And uh, and I just want you to kind of really quickly take us back um, down the annals of time and Talk to us a little bit about Martin, you know how you grew up, where you grew up, and how particularly what you experienced then, and how that's informed your brand. Come on, let's let's talk.
1: Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be in this community and to be um, part of the community and to share. You know, it's a beautiful community that you you created along with the other mods and consistency. You know, it's not that many clubs that are here in Clubhouse. And eventually they're going to call these houses. So there's not that many houses that are built uh, this way. It's a very unique house. So the house of Glenn or the house of bootstrapping or the house, whatever you're going to call the new name, you know, because they just announced it last night. They're going to keep club, but they're going to build houses. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I grew up in Jersey. Uh, I was born in uh, Montclair, uh, New Jersey. And then uh, we lived in Orange, and East Orange. And then um, I went to high school in Newark, and I didn't go past high school for education. I uh, was really blessed to be able to go to a high school that had a work program, work-study program. So I went to high school a week, and I worked a week. Um, and I worked at a place called the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. And that place is the bridge between New York and New Jersey for tunnels, bridges, airports, everything controls the authority. And uh, my boss was a Latino brother, Mr. Diaz, and he wanted to make sure his department, financial planning, was not going down when the mainframe would go down. Back then, this was 86 uh, dumb terminals. And so there was a thing called called PCs he had heard about. In my high school, we had some of the, the brand new IBM AT computers and XT computers. We were one of the only schools even in, as far as colleges uh, in uh, northern New Jersey that had these brand new computers. And so my computer teacher had told me that, you know, you need to stay around after school and learn how to connect the computers and help me set them up. So I knew how to install an IBM computer. So Mr. Diaz hired me, and he actually worked at World Trade Center. So my job was to go around to all his satellite offices and set up this thing called a computer with um, a uh, Okidata printer and WordStar 2000 and DBase Plus and SuperCalc. Those words SuperCalc became Lotus, which became Excel. WordStar 2000 became WordPerfect, which then became Word, and you get the point. So uh, I worked with uh, CPAs who were in charge of calculating the gate fees, the tunnels and bridges fees, all the money. And it was a really interesting experience. And from there, I was able to um, get to IBM as a company because I was telling them, hey, I'm installing your computers, um, but they need to be networked. So the uh, Port Authority sent me to IBM to learn how to network computers. And because I was just, you know, observant, um, uh, my father, my mother gave me a book to read when I was about three to four and um, was homeschooled until I was six, six years old. And because of that, my comprehension level, they had big, back then in the 70s, there's a big thing about reading comprehension that was big. And so my comprehension level was two grades ahead. So I was able to able always to read a situation, physically read it or read it mentally and say, where's the space that I need to get into? And uh, what I realized with IBM was that I could call people and say, hey, I'm at so-and-so company. Can you give me education or training? And that's what I did throughout my career. Um, got, went to, I went to Microsoft headquarters, got trained there for free. Um, and I just kept progressing as a young person in his 20s, uh, moved to New York. And um, at that point that I moved to New York, it was the mid-90s. It wasn't a really popular spot to be in called Fort Greene. It was a little bit of a drug spot, and it wasn't cool yet. And then the World Wide Web came out. Uh, my neighbor was Omar Wasu. Um, Omar was creating something called New York Online, which then became Black Planet. I worked at a cafe um, as a side gig, side hustle, running the internet cafe for uh, called Coco Bar for uh, Spike Lee, uh, Tracy Chapman, and um, uh, Dana Owens, Queen Latifah. I went to middle school with Queen Latifah in, in East Orange. And... Uh, uh, name, Rebecca Walker, which is Alice Walker's daughter. So these black celebrities built an internet cafe, the first internet cafe built by black people in America. And I ran the internet side of it. Omar would come in to use the internet because back then nobody in Brooklyn had a T1 line or or a DSL line or a direct broadband line. We were the only location in Brooklyn that had that. And so he would use our internet. And he was uh, at the time building out also his brand which was on Oprah's uh, show. He would come on, his a dreadlocked brother, light-skinned brother, and uh, uh, he would also come on NBC. Eventually, NBC hired him to do MSNBC. So that's kind of my black tech, being in the right place in the right time and space um, and progressing from there, just being uh, my aunt decided to open a bookstore in the early 2000s. Um, my cu- cousin had to go to college. I was burned out of tech, I wanted to do something I liked. I pitched a radio show to 99 radio stations. 99 said no <laughs> to New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And I couldn't even pay. It was, it was 2000 Everybody was sick and tired of the internet. They were like, this, is this thing is not going to work. It's BS. Nobody wants to talk about computers. I had sponsorships. I had money. And I could not get on the air. One radio station that was really near my, my aunt's bookstore, it's, it's at City College, uh, 90.3 FM, WHCR. They said yes. We'll take this, and we'll give you prime time, which is Monday uh, at six PM, and then they moved me to seven PM, which is even a better um, spot location. But that radio show, along with the bookstore, um, really helped mold my identity of marketing and helping black authors. Because it was, a, it was, we were a small bookstore, but we were a black woman-owned bookstore. Uh, we got a lot of the, we'll say that not the celebrity author. But like a Eric Jerome Dickey, that's that's considered a celebrity author then that now, but he wasn't necessarily like real authors who really write and not people who have a brand name to write a book. So we had a lot of the top black authors, but they weren't necessarily considered top black authors back then. And what I did was got them on MySpace. And because of that, my co-host said, you should be on this thing called Twitter. I'm, like, I'm good. I've been on I'm on you know, I was on Friendster, I was on MySpace, Facebook, I don't even know a damn thing. And that's the consistent thing in my life, is that somebody comes along and says, message! And I end up being like, no, nah, I'm good. And they go, message! And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. And then the third time, it's like, pow! Message! Okay, all right, all right, I've got it. Um, and, I, you know, it's it's I, I joke about it, I say it, and I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm really going to say trying, I'm actually using that word know correctly i am trying my best (laughs) to be aware now it's it happened with clubhouse it happened with twitter with twitter my co-host said you should do it i said no she said you should do it then she showed me twitter i was like this is just texting this is what was called irc back before twitter this is internet relay chat she's like no you should be on it so i got on twitter was not successful. I had a name on MySpace that was killing it called Culture First. Black people were followed. 20,000 black people followed us. We did podcasts on what's called Live 365 back in the day. Blog Talk Radio. First black uh, book show on Blog Talk Radio. But when I went to Twitter, it, you know, it was mainly white folks. And I, I had Culture First. you didn't go nowhere. I also had another brand called I Love Black Women. And I said, let me try that over there. I Just, you know, whatever. And, man, that took off. I didn't have to put one tweet. I had 100 followers with zero tweets. And I was like, hmm, this is weird, you know? So I was wearing a T-shirt that said, I love black women, mainly because I had a book club, my aunt's book club, rather, and they would always come at me sideways. Why do black men do this? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not them. Remember, I'm wearing a T-shirt. I so I love black women. I'm <laughs> not tattooed. I don't know. But um, that was really a pivotal point in my tech career because I didn't realize at the time, but what Twitter was gonna allow was licensing agency for voices to be heard. Black Planet in the 90s did a community building thing. So did Black Voices. And actually Black Voices, the idea for meetup.com came from Black Voices. Black Voices was the first digital platform to allow people to come together to do meet, local meetups. There's actually a paid webpage you can go to right now called AfroNet. So if you go to AfroNet, type in UPenn and AfroNet, you will see a page that has a list of telephone numbers for Black folks to dial into to talk to other Black folks throughout the country in the mid-90s. The reason for that was because we had dial-up bulletin board services so you would and you would get to see this text and it would say here's 15 people here and this is Chicago this is so and so so that concept of being able to network with your local on the ground uh, buy local, support local, all that stuff black folks did that digitally before the internet then when the internet WWW became a thing we migrated over to Black Voices from Black Voices we migrated over to Black Planet because Black Planet had direct messaging Black Voices just had profiles Black Planet had DMs so Black folks are the progenitor of the direct message Uh, Mienta Spanish folks came out with their own social network that copied Black Planet Then after that Asian Avenue so Black and Brown were the first social networkers this is not new to us. We are true to this. I don't care what comes next. The networking concept for digital platforms came from black folks. So because of those things, um, black, I love black women. And I just posted this on my Facebook. I face—you uh, know, got shout out to Facebook for one thing. Those damn memories, boy, they will hit you.
0: You're know, like, oh, I forgot that. I, I forgot that. I did that. Martin, let yeah. me say let me say this, and I just—he is flying. The information, y'all, that this brother's dropping. I hope y'all are tracking them. If you're listening to the podcast and you, you're and, and maybe or maybe you just tuned in, maybe you jumped in the car and you just kind of who is this guy? This is Martin Pratt. Listen, Martin, you are taking me back to a time where. I forgot about the power of what we did and how it's informed what we're doing. And I need you to lean in really quickly before we bring people up to current day. You said something, and and, and we've heard this, y'all. And I think to some degree, to some degree, we can actually engineer this. And that is being in the right place at the right time. As much as as much as and many of us can attest, like I, I just don't know how I ended up in this room. I don't know how I got here and the opportunities that came as a result. Like you did not plan on going to middle school with such people who would later become magnet, you know, magnanimous influencers in black culture. Like you couldn't have orchestrated that. However, what you did do is you took advantage of opportunities while there. And that's the part I think that people don't really quite get. So when you talk about, you know, being in your aunt's bookstore and then that going from there to radio and from that, that like all of these dots connect, can you tell us and kind of lean in just a little bit on the importance of, first of all, paying attention to where you are and seizing moments because of what they may produce, even if you... Didn't want to. You said yes to a bunch of things that in your mind is like, I don't want to do this. I had the same experience with Clubhouse. I don't want to, I don't need another thing. I didn't know that 19 months later, I would be here curating an entire community that's changing the game in terms of how we show up. I didn't know that, but I also did know that I have the raw components to make this work because it's where I came from. So this was a a no, it it made sense to say yes after a while. Can you lean into that for a second, Martin? And I, I just wanna slow down and unpack that. The importance of recognizing where the heck you are and seizing the moment because of where you may be.
1: I'm gonna go forward to go backwards. So my lawyer called me and said, you need to join Clubhouse. I was like, nah, I'm good. And he was like, all right, call me back two more months. This was like back in June of 2020, and he's like, uh, in September, you need to join Clubhouse. The white boys are over there talking about tech. Nobody's over there talking about tech. You're the historian. You need to come in those rooms. and say, I said, dude, I read the article about Clubhouse. It's a gated community for tech bros. I'm not interested. He said, you will no longer be my client. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm on Clubhouse. I got on a Clubhouse the first day, I see a mentee of mine that I haven't seen since and about eleven. Ash Cash. And Brother Ash Cash was in a room, with my, my, my current business partner in, in publishing and in literature, uh, Carl Michelle. Carl was leading this room in love. Like, I hadn't really, and I've been to a lot of webinars and seminars and stuff, and very rarely do you find a, a Glenn or a Carl. These are black men that actually love people and show it in their language, they show it in their mannerisms, they show it in their patience and grace. I was super impressed with this young boy, Carl's about 10 to 15 years younger than me, and my mentee, Ash, were leading this room, and, they, and it was about books in my wheelhouse. I was like, and then once I came in, these, these authors I hadn't seen in years, relentless, uh, uh, Wahita Clark, all these other people started showing up. It was like, wait, this is a reunion, you know? So I immediately saw what Clubhouse was then. But even there, to your point, they were not allowed on clubs when I got on Clubhouse. So these are rooms you just popped up on, and you had to be, it was it was like this, this thing, we constantly find ourselves in, we don't have a location. You know, the church is in the hotel. The, the church is over here in this yard. And, then it's, you know? and so, I, I accept exactly and align myself where you are, but going back to that um, childhood and all those things, I think you you brought up a good point about how we raise our children to fail, and learning that failure is part of like one. I think I don't know who said the story. I would love to give them the credit, but I heard your story over and over again, multiple times. This father would ask his children. This is my nine month old in the background. You hear screaming. Um. See, uh, he would ask his children where did you fail at today at dinner table? And so that concept was to get them used to the language of speaking about failure as a regular day-to-day thing. And then of course, the next thing was, how are you going to solve the failure? So they would immediately get that. I never got any of that. I was raised Jehovah's witness, this world world's gonna burn, we're going to go to heaven, F y'all. So when I got, when I left that religion at 18, and I'm a, I'm a, I consider myself to be kind of a preacher's kid because my parents are very high up in religion. I went to the highest level in that religion in, in Brooklyn, New York at, a, at a 17 and, and before I left at 18. So I asked what they call the governing body questions. These are the top white men that were running the organization at the time. And they couldn't answer my question, so I left. But in that space of leaving, I was literally like a sheep in the wilderness because I'm out in what they call the world now. And I don't have any sense of of who I am, how to get anywhere. So to land to your to your question, I think one of the key factors, if we can, and I see it happening with white folks all the time, to just be in the I don't know. So I didn't have a Queen Latifah to like Queen Latifah was a year ahead of me in middle school. So and I was. Two grades ahead of myself, my age group. So I was always the smallest kid. So I never got a chance to meet or physically talk to Antifa. I mean, she was, you know, one of them short and she was a big person. But also, she was a woman and I'm, you know, intimidated anyway as a 11 year old in middle school when I was around people who were 13 and 14. This is back in the 80s. So, you know, people got left back. You know, it's a big thing. So anybody a year ahead of you, they might have been three years ahead of you. You know, so my point is saying that is that uh, when I got to meet Dana later on, I could not say to her, hey, we went to middle school, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. She was like, Nick, I don't know you. I was in, you were a seventh grade and eighth grade. I'm in, like, who are you? No, I just said, hey, this is the tech side of the business, blah, blah, blah. I kept it moving. In telling a story, it's significant to your point, you see entry points, but I think where I'm at is less about how do you um, be, be aware and know and be in the knowing? My thing is, how can I be in the unknowing and be okay and know that it's going to succeed? And it did, I wish we could treat this at, my goal to leave this planet is to leave a planet with the rites of passage that we teach 10, 11, and 12 year olds, this process, Because if I could have got this process, I got this process at like, mm, like 40-ish. If I got this process like 30 years ago, yo, you know what happened today? We might not be sitting here. We might be sitting, you know, in a whole new space because I would have had this, this, and this. And I could have connected this person to this. And I could have done that, but I didn't have those tools. No one gave me the tools to say, okay, you're going to continuously find in your life opportunities and doors will open but then a door will close. When that next door opens, always ask yourself, everything happens for a reason, I wonder what this reason is this, this closed, and I wonder what's coming next. And be open to see, see, see. no, no one gave me that. So I had to consistently, even with Clubhouse, I had to consistently uh, see uh, reoccurring themes, but not see reoccurring themes, that makes sense. I didn't see a reoccurring theme through my life. Not until Clubhouse did I see Oh snap! I am a connector, and I, no one ever told me that. The other thing that three white people told me on Clubhouse is that you tell stories. You you're not a strategist. You're not a social media strategist. You're not a marketing person. You're a storyteller. And I was like, ah, I dude, was he runs this thing called a startup factory? He literally created a buzzword that people use every day. He's like, listen, strategists get paid and contracts get over. Storytellers stay and stay, and stay, because people keep hiring them over and over again, even though they're telling the same story, even though, because the story needs to be told to the next group of employees, or the next generation of what's the name, and so I was like, ding! but again, and so what I do now, when someone says something to me, and it resonates, I immediately get the domain name, the Black Story Company. I immediately create a group called the Black Storytellers. I immediately find a logo. I'm. That's what I do now. It's 2019 to 2022, that's Martin's lesson. But guarantee, before that, Martin be like, these three white folks are stupid. I'm a strategist. they try trying to keep me from achieving my goal, and they're trying to you know keep me down. I was not accepting. I was not open because I was not raised. I had to learn all this stuff. My father actually had his own business while I was growing up, very successful business, had a problem with his partner. So my father hates small businesses because his experience was a bad breakup in a small business. He never wanted me to be anything but working for corporate America. When I first started my first consulting company, he told, told me it's going to fail. I have semi-toxic relationship with my dad and a very toxic relationship with my former mother who passed. And because of that, I didn't have, you know, these structural things that a lot of people talk about achieving. I didn't go to college. I didn't have alumni. I became a Mason at 30. I had my brothers that part of my lodge. But even those brothers, unfortunately, most of them are actually gone now. So I'm now the OG. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, just learning in 2019 that, hey, Martin connects people. Martin likes connected people. Martin. Martin likes being the plug. But wow. all that stuff, I didn't know.
0: Listen, Martin, let me say this, and I'm just sad that we don't have more time because I'm getting a whole history lesson. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I'm walking away with, and I'm going to encourage you, if you're listening to this broadcast, identify the takeaway. For me, it's be open. Be open to the unknown and embrace it. I don't know. What's the opportunity here? Why is that door closing? And what is the opportunity in this next space as opposed to judging it? saying what it ain't, saying what it is. Just be. And if I sit in a space long enough to be open, what I'm hearing you say at least for me is that the thing that I the thing that I'm supposed to see will identify itself. It will walk up to me and it will say, "Thank you for being open. Now that you're able to hear me, yeah. introduce itself." To me. And and I'm talking about the thing being opportunity, man. Let me say this in closing. Um, a, it's been a super pleasure to have you on. We all need some help Wednesday, the podcast B can you let people know in about a minute, let them know, like, like, you know, who are you today? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for, for, and how can people uh, connect with you?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I have a book that came out. It's called The Black Toolbox. Because of what I went through with my daughter and her stay in the hospital, I realized that Black people have tools that we use every single day. I believe there are 12 tools we use every day in our toolbox. And the book is designed to help you navigate using your Black tools in the right way. Um, also, we have a club here on Clubhouse called Black LinkedIn is Thriving. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard. have been doing so uh, for 19 months, and um, on LinkedIn we have a private group. You can join our group. Uh, love all to have everybody in this room join our group. Uh, you can hit me on LinkedIn, uh, Martin Pratt, and see my picture, and you'll see you know. And I'll hit you with the private link to to the group on LinkedIn. Um, and lastly, I really have uh, I think this year going into 2023, really want Black folks to be prepared. For this money rush is this Glenn where Glenn lives at in his area there was just allocated last two uh, sorry last three months 4.7 billion is allocated just for black business in the DMV area you can Google this through CNBC and the word Kamala Harris she was at Howard she announced a program just for that one area there's gonna be multiples of this right now there are there a are ton of black grants that are available Not that I'm trying to push you to get a grant, but I am saying we have all these opportunities. And my goal for this year was to really make sure that Black people monetized from those opportunities. That led me to a partnership I have with DFREE, DFREEfoundation.org. They have gotten uh, $36 million out of debt for Black folks in 2005. The founder of DFREE has a, everything is free. There's no charge for any of the services. There's no charge for anything he does. We're having for my birthday, we're starting a conference next week. So July 27th through July 31st, we'll have an online conference for multiple things. So if you follow my account here or you follow my account on LinkedIn, you'll see the link. Just tune in. It's free. Hopefully you'll register so we can get your information. And then in uh, November, after Glenn's conference, we're going to have something called FinFest, Financial Fest. We'll And that's going to be also free and online.
0: I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guy, Martin Pratt, I'm so grateful for Clubhouse being the conduit where we got a chance to meet. Y'all put your hands together. We're broadcasting this live on Clubhouse. For those of you guys who are listening by way of the podcast i want you guys to make sure you download this podcast share it out and let everybody know that at the end of the day you can't get to any place of significance by yourself y'all we all need some help and we'll see you guys back next week Well, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us once again for another edition of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. Uh, Be sure to download this, and if you need to connect to us any kind of way, uh, you can reach us at www.glennpbrooksjr.com. At the end of the day, y'all already know what time it is. You cannot get to any place of significance by yourself because we all need some help. Y'all be good, and we'll talk soon.